Well, let's go ahead and pray, and then uh, we'll get into Romans chapter 9 today. Jesus, thank you so much for who you are, for your word, that it never turns back void. God, just teach us as, uh, as we sit at your feet, Lord, and uh, just remove me from the equation. Thank you so much for how you're at work, Lord, in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So at the end of Romans chapter 8, um, Paul left at this pinnacle of God's promise that his love will never be taken away from us Christians, us followers of Jesus. Romans 8, 37 through 39, I'll read that. It says, yet in all these things, and it's not in the slide, so you don't, you don't have to look for it. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Oh, by the way, does anybody need a Bible? Raise your hand. We'll get one to you. Sorry, <laughs> I forgot to. Okay, cool. Uh, Yet in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. It's amazing that nothing can separate us from the love of God through Jesus Christ as a Christian. Well, there were Jewish people folks that, you know, Paul was ministering to as well. And so in chapters 9 through 11, um, Paul gives an answer to the Jewish objector who would have asked, does the gospel, by promising salvation to Gentiles as well as Jews, mean that God has broken his promises to his earthly people, the Jews? You have to understand culturally and context wise that the Jews were God's people. In fact, until um, the day of Pentecost, you know, the, in, in Acts that we read about, the, the ministry of the Lord wasn't, wasn't to the Gentiles. It was the Jews only. And so when you see the, um, the fact that Gentiles now are being saved and part of the Jewish Christian religion, not religion, but Jewish Christian relationship with God, um, there are Jews that didn't believe in the Messiah. There are Jews that didn't believe that Jesus had was the one who was prophesied about. And so Paul has this question come about, you know, if the gospel um, that, you know, is promised to the Gentiles as well as the Jews means that God has broken his promise to his earthly people, the Jews. Paul's answers covers Israel's past in chapter 9. So chapter 9, we're going to look at um, some accounts of, 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 um, of the past of, the, of, of Jewish history. Uh, chapter 10, we're not covering 10, 11, obviously, today. We're not even going to get through chapter 9 today. Um, I wanted to get past a, a, a portion of it. We're, we're splitting this um, teaching up into two parts pertaining to God's sovereignty. Um, but um, in, pre- in, in chapter 10, Paul covers the present situation with the Jews, and, and in chapter 11, he covers the future for the Jews. Um, this section contains great emphasis on divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Romans 9 is one of the key passages in the Bible on the sovereign election of God and man's responsibility to choose him. In Romans chapter 9, verse 1 through 13, that's the scriptures that we're going to be in today. Can you say that 
This section contains a great emphasis on divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Romans 9 is one of the key passages in the Bible on the sovereign election of God and man's responsibility to choose him. Um, if you want my sermon notes, I will send them to you. So we are going to be in Romans chapter 9, verse 1 through 13 today. I'm not going to read through all of the scriptures um, in succession the way I normally do. I'm going to just start by breaking apart what we see here in Romans chapter 9. Actually, no, I am going to read it. Sorry. I'm switching gears here. Um, are you guys okay back there? Okay. You're, it's distracting. We're in a small room. So Romans chapter 9, verse 1. I tell you the truth in Christ. I am not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness in, in the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. Verse 6, but it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham, but in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Jacob, I mean Isaac, sorry, <clears throat> for the children not yet being born nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger, saying to Rebekah, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. And so um, from verse 14 through 28, it also covers divine election and man's responsibility, and that's going to be the second half of this for next week. Um, I just have too much in our notes for us to cover everything in one day. And so we see here in Romans chapter 9, verse 1 through 2, that Paul switches gears of how, he, how he's writing. At the end of Romans 8, it's this elation of just God's love never will leave us. You know, it's always there for us. And then we see here in verse 1 and 2, I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. So Paul goes from this ecstatic place that for the believer in Jesus Christ, God's love is never able to be taken away no matter what. Now he goes to this sorrowful place, a deep, deep sadness for his fellow Jews because they have rejected their Messiah, Jesus Christ. We see such a great love that Paul has for his people that are lost, those that have rejected Christ. And we see here in verse one that he's 
telling the truth. He's, he's saying, look, my conscience is, is one with the Holy Spirit. There's, there's no separation of what I'm going to say to you pertaining to the Holy Spirit and my thinking about this and that I am just, I'm, I'm, I'm sorrowful. I'm filled with grief in my heart. In verse three, we see here for it says, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. In other words, Paul is saying, if it would be possible at all, I would choose to be accursed, taken away from Christ for the sake of the salvation of my fellow Jews. And we see another man who was Moses saying the same type of thing pertaining to those he loved and cared about. After the Israelites created a golden calf and worshiped in the gross sinful debauchery of this golden calf, we read in Exodus chapter 32, verse 30 through 32. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin. So now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. Verse 32 of Exodus 32. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. So we see this passion that Moses had for his people between God and his wrath. And we see Paul having the same grief for his fellow Jews that really are in line with the wrath of God. They didn't believe that their Messiah had come. And so in verse four, we see where he says, he, he, he starts going into what the blessings were that the Jewish people had. See, there's only one nation on earth that God calls his own, and it's the Jews. We as Gentiles are grafted in through the blood of Christ. We weren't chosen by God as his people the way the Israelites were chosen as his people. And they still are today. They are God's chosen people, physical chosen people. So we see here in verse four, Paul gives this amazing um, list of blessings that the Jewish people have and claim and, 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 and received from God. And because he says, who are Israelites? To whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God and the promises, verse five, of whom are the fathers and from whom according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. So Paul lists eight blessings that God gave directly to the Israelites. He gave the adoption to them. He adopted them as his own people. Exodus 4, says this, then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So God chose the Jews chose the Jewish people to be his very own people. The glory, the Israelites experienced the Shekinah glory of God. The very real and visible presence of God was with the Israelites as a cloud in their very midst. Go read through Exodus and you'll see how God's physical presence was with his people. The cloud would fill the temple, the, the meeting place. It would, it would, he, he was a pillar of, at night and a cloud by day. His physical presence was with his people. Nobody else on earth experienced that but them. 
So God's glory was given to them physically so they could see it. His covenants were given to him, the covenants. God gave Israel his covenants, the first to Abraham, and then additional covenants to Moses and to David. No other people group but the Jewish people. The giving of the law. God gave Israel his law to govern their political, their social, and their religious life and to guarantee his blessing if they obeyed it. No other people group in the world were given the law in this way. The service of God, the the elaborate rituals and service of God connected with the tabernacle and the temple were given to Israel as well as the priesthood. The priesthood of God was given to Israel. The promises, God made innumerable promises to Israel of protection, peace, and prosperity. Even to this day, those still stand. Did you know that Israel is the fourth largest producer of citrus in the world. They're, 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 they're a very prosperous country, so small. God's promises are so great. And they're for today, for the, for, for the Jewish people. I love that about God. His promises are, are real. They're faithful. He can be trusted. And so it's amazing how Paul just uncovers the reality of what God is to them as Jewish people, as God's people. And then continuing in that verse five, of whom the fathers came from, the fathers being Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In the end of verse five, we see that Jesus Christ himself, the Messiah, was physically brought to this world where it says in Romans chapter nine, Verse five, where it says, um, of whom are the fathers? And, and then it says, and from whom according to the flesh, Christ came who is over all, the eternally blessed God. Verse five actually speaks of Christ's human and his deity of God. He's 100% human and he's 100% God. And so we see here in verse five, we see that Jesus Christ himself, the Messiah, was physically brought to this world through the lineage of the Jews. And so if a Jew was saying, well, if the, you know, if God is giving salvation to Jews and Gentiles, well, you know, how, where are we in all that? The the Jews that disbelieved. And so Paul's giving this example of that God hasn't left them, that his promises were real to them, and that God was very active in their life as a people group, even to the point of the lineage of the true and living God, him being birthed through their lineage. It's amazing what they actually have. It is also important to take note that in verse five, this, and, I, and I touched on this, verse five states the truth of Christ's humanity and his deity. He's 100% human and 100% God. That's where it says, according to the flesh, Christ came who is over all. He is God, that statement over all. The eternally blessed God, amen. That's a statement that he is 100% human and 100% God. No other people group on the face of the earth were given these blessings, none, directly given to them. So Paul is just uncovering this question and showing the reality that God literally has come to them. 
throughout their history, was so involved in their lives. Verse six, we see, it says, but it is not that the word of God has taken no effect. In other words, just because you disbelieve Jewish person, you know, who says that, you know, the Messiah didn't come for you, just because you disbelieve doesn't mean that God's word is of no effect. And then it says here, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel. And this, it's important to understand here. In other words, what's being said here is just because the Jewish people chose to reject the Messiah, this does not prove the word of God to have no power. And just because you are called in Isra called Israelites does not mean that you are all governed by God. That's what verse six is saying here. One definition of the word Israel means governed by God. So where it says here, for they are all not Israel who are of Israel, it's saying just because you're an Israelite doesn't mean you're actually being governed by God. So just because one goes to church does not make them a Christian. The word Christian means one that actually follows after Christ, whose life is dictated by Christ, whose life is submitted under Jesus, whose life is actually governed by God. And so Paul continues in, 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 in giving this insight that we're going to look at of God's divine election, his, his, his divine election. God is always in control. He can do whatever he wants to whomever he wants, however he wants to bring glory to himself. We're going to look at God's sovereign election in these next couple of verses, and we will continue that study next week as well. In verse seven through nine, it says, nor are they, are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham, but in Isaac, your seed shall be called. That is those who are the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time, I will come and Sarah shall have a son. So, what verse seven is saying, just because your heritage is from Abraham, that does not mean you are saved. A lot of them would say that. They'd said that to Jesus. Ishmael, for example, was of the seed of Abraham, but the line of promise came through Isaac, not through Ishmael. So the promise of God was in Isaac. That's where it says, in, your, in Isaac, your seed shall be called. That's the promise of God was given through Isaac, not Ishmael. Isaac was the heir of God's covenant of salvation, and Ishmael was not. Isaac stands for the children of the promise, and Ishmael stands for the children of the flesh. Same parents, God's divine election was different. God chose Isaac, not Ishmael. Ishmael, obviously, we know the story, right? Sarah and Abraham, they promised that they would have a child and they, you know, Sarah said, hey, you know, lay with my maidservant and that's where Ishmael came out of. It wasn't the promise. We see here in verse 10 and 11, and not only this, Paul continues, uses Rebecca as an example of God's sovereign election. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, 
that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. So it's important to understand, <clears throat> excuse me, that before Jacob and Esau were born, God's plan was already laid out for them. Before they were born, God chose between Jacob and Esau what his plan would be. It is God's doing, not man's. Whether before any even good or evil, you know, people think, oh, you know, I do good and God's gonna choose me or I do evil and God won't choose me. No, God's word says that he wills no one to perish, but all to come to repentance through him. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God has ordained and placed into motion the reality that we need a savior. He draws people to him, but it's his divine election that draws us to him and it's our choice to choose. This subject is very difficult to wrap our mind around. We aren't God. We don't know everything at once. We can't fathom his foreknowledge and his understanding of things. But I'm very blessed that God is not confused. And I'll, 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 Lord willing, th there's some commentator that, that, that I chose to use that will uncover um, this, uh, shed some light onto God's so sovereign election and man's choice to choose him. In verse 12, we see here, Paul continuing, it was said to her, being Rebecca, the oldest shall serve the younger. Paul is quoting Genesis chapter 25, 23. And in that culture, that was not a reality. The older always was in charge. But with Esau and Jacob, it was different. So we see that before Rebekah's children were even born, it was told to her that the older son would be under the younger son. Like I mentioned, normally the older son would be first in line, but God had a different plan. Also, that these two men in the grand plan of God, out of them were birthed two nations. This was prophesied to Rebekah from the Lord. From Esau came the nation of Edom, who was always against Israel. And the nation of Israel came through Jacob, who are God's chosen people, through whom the Messiah, Jesus Christ, came through Jacob's lineage. Say mom, two kids, different outcome. God's plan is sovereign. Some may say, well, how come, you know, God didn't choose Esau? That seems unfair. Well, yeah, in our minds, some things do seem unfair to God, but we try and um, wrap our minds around God's divine plan in these situations by thinking that God needs to be fair to us when the reality is, is that all of mankind has sinned and we all deserve to be uh, put to death for our sin when it comes to us standing before a true and living God. And it's his mercy that is given to us by his choice, not ours. And it draws us to him. He, he draws man to him and he leaves man the responsibility to choose and he can do whatever he wants. Later on in, in this chapter, Paul writes about Pharaoh 
and how God hardened Pharaoh's heart and that it actually gave room to display the power of God. But Pharaoh had hardened his heart prior to that. And so what really happened is that God gave Pharaoh what Pharaoh wanted, his heart to be hardened towards God. And that's gonna be about next week's study. But we see here with Rebekah and Esau and Jacob, Genesis 25, 21 through 23. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren and the Lord granted his plea. So Rebecca couldn't have kids. And, and I love this. They were praying people and, 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 and uh, Isaac pleaded with the Lord, Lord, give my, my wife a ch child. And Rebecca, his wife conceived but the children struggled within her. So she was like, what's going on inside of me? I don't understand. So she said, if all is well, like I'm, I, I have children, why am I like this? So she went and inquired of the Lord. I love that about Rebecca. She didn't understand what was going on, but she knew that God would answer her. And it's such a good note for us that even when we don't think we know what's going on, God's gonna give us the right answer. It might not always be what we think it is, but it's gonna be the one that's right pertaining to his will in our life. And so we see here that she went and she inquired to the Lord and the Lord said to her, and I'm reading this because Paul is referencing this to the Jews. They knew the history. They knew the history of their people. But the children struggling together within her, and she said, if all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire to the Lord and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. And so Paul was referencing to the latter part of 23, of verse 23 in Genesis 25. And Paul continues, says, as it is written, Jacob, I have loved, but Esau, I have hated. Well, you think, well, that's horrible. I thought God loved everybody. So where it says, Jacob, I have loved, but Esau I have hated, Paul quotes from the book of Malachi. It's the last book of the Old Testament. And some of you guys, like I said, may have a very difficult time with this verse. How can God love someone and hate the other? Isn't God a loving God? It is important to note that the more accurate translation is this, you guys. Listen, Jacob I've accepted, Esau I have rejected. This is pertaining to the fact that through the lineage of Jacob, the promised Messiah would come. Through Jacob's line, God's nation would be built, Israel. If you know the story of Jacob, he wrestled with God. God changed his name to Israel, actually. It's important to understand that Esau, as a man, he was blessed. He was prosperous. Esau wasn't like this, you know, dingy dude in a ditch. Sorry, but we can think of that. If God hates somebody, they're down and out. If God loves somebody, they're, they're rich and famous. But that's not necessarily the context always when we read things like this in, the, in Scripture. We have to take into context what actually happened with the people. So Esau, he was a blessed man. He had prosperity while he was alive, but he was not chosen by God. And it's an important to understand that, um, that Edom came out of Esau. Edom was always against Israel. 
And if you read in Malachi, Edom was destroyed after a while. And it's okay to wrestle with the fact that God can choose who he wants, how he wants to accomplish his will, no matter our heritage or our church going status or anything at all. God's sovereign election and man's responsibility of choice is something that is just beyond our human capacity to fully understand. But they both exist in the Bible. A woman once said to Mr. Spurgeon, I cannot understand why God should say that he hated Esau. And then Spurgeon replied, I, it's, it is not my difficulty, madam. My trouble is to understand how God could love Jacob. Jacob was a liar. He was a conniving person. He wasn't the, 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 uh, the person who was always honest about stuff. But God chose him for his purpose. It's amazing how God chooses flawed people for his plan to be exemplified in their life. But still, Jacob still had a responsibility in his life to follow after God. Commentator William MacDonald, and I'm going to read the rest of this message, is going to be from the, this commentary. And this commentary that I'm going to read is really an introduction to Romans 9. And we're going to cover some of these subjects next week as well that are listed in here. And so if you want a copy of this, I can send this to you, no problem. But I really feel that it's important to um, completely expose, uncover, and expound upon the reality that God has the ability and is, not has the ability, but divinely has a divine election and man has a choice in that divine election. When we say that God is sovereign, we mean that he is in charge of the universe, that he can do as he pleases. In saying that, however, we know that because he is God, he will never do anything wrong, unjust, or unrighteous. Therefore, to say that God is sovereign is merely to allow God to be God. We should not be afraid of this truth or apologize for it. It is a glorious truth and should cause us to worship him. In other words, he is absolutely in control. In his sovereignty, God has elected or chosen certain individuals to belong to himself. But the same Bible that teaches God's sovereign election also teaches human responsibility. While it is true that God elects people to salvation, it is also true they must choose to be saved by a definite act of the will. The divine side of salvation is seen in the words, all that the Father gives me will come to me. The human side is found in the words that follow. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. That's John chapter six, verse 37. And I'll read that. Jesus speaking, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. 
So we should rejoice as believers that God chose us in Christ before the foundations of the world. And we read in Ephesians chapter one, verse four, just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. If you are a Christian, God choose, chose you before the earth was created. But we believe just as surely that whoever chooses may take of the water of, the, of life freely. Revelations chapter twenty two seventeen says this, and the spirit and the bride say, come and let him who hears say, come and let him who thirsts come, whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. When Jesus, the Holy Spirit, when he draws somebody to him, it is that person's responsibility to receive him. It just doesn't automatically happen. Picture walking down a hall. Deal Moody gives this illustration of the two truths in this way. When we come and we're walking down the hall and we come to this door of salvation, and we see above the door this invitation overhead, whosoever will may come. So that's what the words are on the outside of the door. When we pass through the door, we look back at the inside of the door, like this has an exit sign here. On the outside, it doesn't have that. So picture a door that on the outside of the door says whoever will will may come in. And on the inside, it says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Thus, the truth of man's responsibility faces people as they come to the door of salvation. And the truth of sovereign election is a family truth for those who have already entered. They both exist. They both are a reality. They're both in the Bible. How can God choose individuals to belong to himself and at the same time make a bona fide offer of salvation to all people everywhere? How can we reconcile these two truths? The fact is that we cannot. To the human mind, they are in conflict, but the Bible teaches both doctrines. And so we should believe them. Be content to know that the difficulty lies in our minds and not in God's. These twin truths are like two parallel lines that meet only in infinity. <clears throat> Some have tried to reconcile sovereign election and human responsibility by saying that God foreknew who would trust the Savior and that those who are the ones whom he elected to be saved. They base this on Romans 8.29. We read that last week. Whom he foreknew, he also predestined. And they, they use 1 Peter chapter 1 too, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. But this overlooks the fact that God's foreknowledge is determinative. In other words, there's an outcome of it. It is not just that he knows in advance who will trust the Savior, but that he predetermines this result by drawing certain individuals to himself. Although God chooses some men to be saved, Listen, you guys, he never chooses anyone to be damned. 
ever. He doesn't choose that for people. To put it another way, though the Bible teaches election, it never teaches divine reprobation. It doesn't teach that. But someone may object. Well, if God elects some to be some to blessing, then he necessarily elects others to destruction. But that is not true. God does not elect people for destruction like that. The whole human race was doomed to destruction by its own sin and not by any arbitrary decree of God. If God allowed everyone to go to hell and he could just and he could justly have done that, people would be getting exactly what they deserved. The question is, does the sovereign Lord have a right to stoop down and select a handful of otherwise doomed people to be a bride for his son? The answer, of course, is that he does. So what it boils down to is this. If people are lost, it is because of their own sin and rebellion. If people are saved, it is because of the sovereign electing grace of God. To the man who is saved, the subject of God's sovereign choice should be the cause of unceasing wonder. It's a thing that I, I don't understand. We won't understand it. His sovereign election, it, it, it's something that we, we won't be able to grasp while we're here on earth. lost my place, sorry. So to the man who is saved, the subject of God's sovereign choice should be the cause of unceasing wonder. The believer looks around and sees people with better character, better personalities, better dispositions, than his own, and asks, why did the Lord choose me? I feel that way. I look at other people, other pastors, other Christians, and I think, God, how are you, how, how'd you choose me for this? You know? When we have a sober look at who we are and how God chose us, it's amazing. There are two dangers to be avoided in, con in, in connection with this subject. The first danger is to hold only one side of the truth. For example, to believe in God's sovereign election and to deny that man has any responsible choice in connection with his salvation, that's one danger. So in other words, you know, God just chooses people. I don't have a choice. I don't need to choose. Well, that's, that's garbage. God holds us accountable, you know. God knows how to send Christians to other Christians. The Holy Spirit is active right now, drawing people. That's why Scripture and Scripture, we need to look at both sides. We can't take one piece of Scripture and, and, and hang our hat on it. You know, many churches do that. Many, many people who stand in a pulpit do that. We have to take the whole Bible and look at God's plan that He wills no one to perish, but all to come to repentance through Jesus. That that Jesus came for us sinners, that all of us were in a place of destitute desperation for salvation until Christ was introduced to us. And when Christ is introduced to us, the Holy Spirit's at work in bringing conviction and drawing us to a place of saying, yes, Lord, I want you to be a part of my life. 
And that's the supernatural work of God. But there are people in this life that will deny him, that will do their life, harden their heart, and then God gives them their hardened heart, like we'll see next week how that happened with Pharaoh. What if Moses said, hey, set my people free, and Pharaoh's like, okay. But that wouldn't that, that have been better for everybody, right? Sure would have been better for the children that were there. But that's not what happened. Do you think God was out of control in that situation? No, no. God is absolutely 100% sovereign in his control of all things. And it's amazing how as people we can lose sight of how powerful he is and that he's at work with people. And that's, that's where our, our job comes into sharing the truth of Jesus with people and actually having relationships with people and talking with them and, and being available for the Holy Spirit to move through us. Maybe sharing with somebody, hey man, you know, God's got a plan for your life. Well, I don't believe that. Well, have you ever tried? You know, I was listening to Skip Isaac's message on, on this subject and he's a really great teacher of the word and um, through Romans 9 and he was talking about how, you know, people were like, well, I don't believe. And, and he was like, well, then, then, just, then just take a step and receive. Well, I don't believe. They're back here. I, I, I don't believe. Well, well once you just, just make a decision for Jesus and you'll see that his divine election is a reality in your life. Well, I don't believe that. Well, just choose Jesus. God's always at work drawing people, but it's up to us to receive. That's why my prayer for like when we do outreach or this youth rally or anything, it's like that the word would go forth, that people would hear it and people would make a decision, that they would receive it. So there's divine election and there's human responsibility for the choice to choose God, to choose him. But you can't take one and, and only live under one doctrine of election and not under the doctrine of man's responsibility. They're both two equal uh, forces. The, sp- the scriptural appro- approach is to believe in God's sovereign election and to believe with equal force in human responsibility. Only in this way can a person hold these doctrines in their proper biblical balance. So divine sovereign election and man's responsibility of choice. And I, and I apologize. I, I, you know, I'm, I, I, some of this is going to be repeated next week when we finish up Romans 9. But I just, getting into sovereign election and man's responsibility and how Paul starts uncovering that, I really wanted us to kind of have a foundation for what the rest of chapter 9 is. And so divine sovereign election and man's responsibility of choice. An example, one of the best ways that I've heard this explained, let's say there is a plane headed to Europe. Okay, you guys all know what an airplane is, right? A trip to Europe, a trip to, well, a trip to Europe is a long trip. The pilot doesn't just, you know, whimsically go, oh, you know, I think I'm going to go this route. Like I drive, when I drive, I don't always take the same route. Sometimes I take different routes. Well, planes aren't like that. FAA has to predetermine the flight path. It's predetermined. 
the pilot along with the FFA, they foreknow this path. You don't know the path, but they do. As a person wanting to go to Europe, you choose your class of flight. You want to, whichever one you want to pay for, it's your choice. The flight's predetermined, the path is predetermined, but you have got some choices. You choose whichever, you know, class of flight that you want. You want coach, you want first class. You get to choose what seating you want, maybe a window seat or an aisle seat. It's your choice. During the flight, you have a choice to eat snacks or a meal or watch a movie or move about the plane, go to the restroom. You're operating within the parameters of human choice. While, predetermined, while a predetermined path is happening at the same time. Both exactly at the same time. You see, divine election and human choice run hand in hand. One isn't separate from the other. God is always presenting himself to people. We know that in Scripture it talks about how the creation, and I'm paraphrasing this, but speaks of his glory, speaks of who he is so that man is without excuse. God's always presenting himself to people. He's always doing that. And it's us who need to choose him. And we'll continue to uncover how Paul speaks to the Jewish people about their past and how God's divine election is a reality and how they didn't choose the Messiah. The responsibility wasn't on God, it was on them. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you for um, this study of, of Romans 9. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would um, just use your word to teach us, Lord, about you. God, the subject of um, sovereign election is a very difficult subject. It's not something that's easy to teach on and easy to wrap our mind around. And the reality is, Lord, is that you are in control and you are always drawing people unto you. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity that you give us, Lord, to sit at your feet, Lord. Thank you that we're going to have communion today. Thank you for reminding me that we're having communion today while I pray. God, thank you for each and every person here. Thank you that you have drawn us to make a choice to choose you. And Lord, we pray for those who haven't chosen you. Lord, that you would cause them to hear your voice so clearly that they do choose you, Lord. Thank you so much for just what you're doing in our lives. Give you all the glory in Jesus' name, amen.